really helpful to me. So as I'm going through chapter four and I'm talking about these things, I'm trying to lead them into thinking about, you know, God's got to take care of this in some way. What's the way he's going to do that? And we'll see that in the book of Mark. At any rate, Genesis chapter four, before we get started, Josh, would you mind to have a word of prayer for it? Lead us in a word of prayer. Let us bow. Our Father in heaven, we come before you, thanking you for bringing us here this morning, that we may worship you, that we may learn about you, and this evening that we may learn about you again. We ask that we do so in a way that is true and honest, and that we may all benefit from the words that will be imparted to us, and the words that are from you, the words that are from your word. We ask that we study this uh, with open hearts and with open minds and with intent minds, and that we glean from it your lessons. Please be with us as we go through this, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, let's uh, read in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Whoever would like to take that reading and get started. Genesis 4, 1 through Thank you, Blake. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, it's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. All right, so verse 1 again is a verse that, that gives me hope. It shows that Adam and Eve accepted their... Uh, their punishment, if you will. They continued uh, in their relationship together. Adam knew his, his wife Eve. She conceived and bore Cain. And it's what she says that shows that they're really thinking about this plan that God has revealed to them. She says, I've gotten a man from the Lord. <laughs> Where else is she going to get him from? But why would she say that? Well, she's thinking about that promise. There's this seed that's going to come from her that's going to squash the head of the serpent. And this is a very Jewish idea. These genealogies that are counted all through the book of Genesis, and then later on as they're recounted, and certainly when we get into the book of Matthew, and they start out counting the genealogy, they're tracing back to the promise. And the next time we see that, uh, I pointed it out earlier, but we'll, we'll look at it really closely here, is in Genesis chapter 5, when Lamech, uh, Methuselah's son, has his child. In Genesis 5, verse 20, uh, 28, Lamech lived 182 years and had a son and called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So Noah's name, Lamech is thinking of that promise and the curse, and that Noah's going to undo it. And really, he's a type of Christ. He does, in a way, undo the curse for the eight that survived, uh, including himself, and this new world that they came out into. So because of, his, uh, because of his faithfulness and God's grace on him, then they are, he becomes a type of Christ. The point I want to make is that people are thinking about that promise. And even Adam here, obviously the first ones to do that. She says, I, requ I acquired this man from the Lord. Then we see she has another son. This time it's Abel. So we've got Cain and Abel. And we learn something about the two of them. We learn about the work they do in verse 2. What do they do? What's their work? Abel's a keeper of flocks. Abel's a keeper of flocks, of sheep specifically. And Cain? The ground. Okay. What's important? Why would that be important to have those two things? Think about the context that we're in here. Why a tiller of the ground? Let's talk about Cain first. Why would it be important to be a tiller of the ground? Well, it's, 
That's part of the curse. Like Absolutely. You have, you have to have someone doing that. Now. He's continuing in his father's line of work, if you will. He's learning from his father. He's an apprentice to learn how to produce the food for the generation that's to come. Well, what about Abel? Why be, why be a keeper of sheep? Clothing. Absolutely. We know that they're not eating meat yet, so this is not for food, uh, but they do need clothing because of, after the sin. So we're looking at the two aspects of the sin involved in their, tra- in their work here. I'm trying to speak Portuguese again. Uh, verbed in their work, trabajo. Uh, <laughs> trabajo in Portuguese. Um, so one is making clothing and the other is providing food. Those are the two main things. Obviously, shelter would be the other one. Those two main things that are needed after the fall. And so they're working with this. And then in verse 3, we see the first external acts of worship in the Bible. And I love this. This is a good place to pause and talk with people about what worship really is and and where the heart of worship should be. So we see uh, in verse 3, in the process of time it came to pass, who is the first one that we see making an offering? Cain. Cain. He's not the guy we would expect. He's the bad guy. He's the first guy that comes up with an offering to the Lord at least in the way the text is revealed to us here. And then Abel brings his offering. What are the differences between their offerings? There's a few things that are, that are obvious. There's a few things that are different in their offerings. What, is, what does Cain bring to the Lord? Does that offering make sense coming from Cain? Yes. Sure. That's what he's got to offer. It's what he works with. Now, some people will try to say, well, God didn't ask him to bring fruit. God asked him to bring animals. And so he should have gone over and gotten something from, from Abel's flock. Well, we can't say that. We don't know what God told them to bring. We know that they knew. Hebrews 11 says that Abel acted faithfully. So he knew what God had, off, had told him to bring. But it doesn't mean that Cain was unfaithful because he took fruits. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 2, there's a huge offering of fruit of the ground. <laughs> That's one of the main types of offerings is a meal offering. And so we can't say he was wrong in doing that. Of course, Leviticus is later. It's not, this is not the law that they had. But we can't say he's wrong for that. So he brings an offering of grain or fruit of the ground to the Lord. And then we see Abel bring an offering. What did he bring? It says the firstborn of his flock. Firstborn of his flock and of their fat. There's a little bit of a more detailed description about what he brought. And I think there's some details on the description of what Cain brought that aren't readily uh, noticeable. I don't know. It depends on our translation, maybe. Mine says, uh, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Does anybody have a different reading of that verse? In the course of time? In the course of time. Anything else? There seems to be an indication that this course of time means after the end of all the harvest. This is not the first fruits that Cain's bringing. He's taking what he needs, what he, and whatever's left over, then he's taking to the Lord. In contrast to Abel, who's brought the firstlings and the fat. So there seems to be a difference of what they're bringing, even in that. Uh, so the reading here that in the course of time may be alluding to the fact that all of the time for the harvest has passed. This is not these first plants that came up that he's taken them. Uh, so you get that, uh, that distinction. And what is the real distinction we see, though, in verse 4 and verse 5? What's the response of the Lord to all this? I've heard this story so many times, but what is the Lord's response? He had regard for Abel's offering, but for Cain's offering, he had no regard. Yes and no. I'm not going to say you're incorrect in what you said, but there's more to it than that, Josh. Uh, I just want to, not to backtrack too much, but to add to what in the process of time could mean. Um, when that same Greek word, or Hebrew word is used in other contexts, it's always 
means at the end of, after, yes. after it came to pass, at the end, at the end, after, at the end. So it really lends credence to the fact that he did this at the end of all the harvest time. So this is not the first harvest. This would be like the Pentecost harvest, the <laughs> way at the end. So it looks like in verse 4 and 5 that it's not just the offering. It's also for the man. Yes. Like he has regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he has no regard. Yeah, well, where is God looking? He's looking at the person. Now, the offering says something about the person, but God looked first at the person, and we'll see that two or three times in this text. And it's something that when we think about God as a man and not as spirit, we're trying to appease him as a man. We miss that all the way from Genesis 1-2. We make these bargains with God. We become religious in that, and we don't think, I just want a relationship. God's looking for a relationship. How do I seek to please him? I obey him. Jesus said really simply, if you love me, keep my commandments. You're my friends because you do what I say. That's how we have a relationship. Not because you give me all of your goods every Sunday when you come in. That's not the point. Now, if we love him and we're obeying him, we're concerned about his work, it's going to give us more freedom to give. We're going to be more willing to give of ourselves and of our means and everything we have to the work that he's doing. It's not going to feel at all like an obligation. It's going to feel like, I can't wait to go in and share what God's given me so we can make this thing even better. What a difference of opinion. And that shows our heart. <laughs> well, the Lord respected Abel and therefore his offering. Did not respect Cain, and therefore didn't respect his offering. Now think about that. It doesn't matter what we're offering if God doesn't respect us. If we're not doing what he said, I can give a million dollars in the collection plate. And God's not going to say all of a sudden, look, men will. Well, that happens so often in the churches, doesn't it? You get some politician that wants to get his name out there. He gives a bunch of money to a church, and the church goes around preaching for him. It's amazing how that happens. It's really common in Brazil. I presume it's common here as well. Uh, you know, you can persuade men with money, but you can't, can't buy God that way. God wants your heart. And so he looked first at the offerer and then at the offering. So what is Cain's response in verse 5? <coughs> it's kind of shocking, but what's his response? Pouts. Pouts, that's for sure. His countenance fell. His face has fallen. Why? He was angry. Think about that for a minute. You are wanting to have a relationship with God. You're wanting to offer something to him, which means you're trying to come to him. Cain's doing sort of the right thing. He's seeking the Lord in this offering. So he takes his stuff, and God doesn't accept it, but he accepts his brothers. So he becomes angry with God because he didn't accept what he's offering. You know, so often when we're studying with people, and we point out, you know, I see what you're doing. I see this kind of worship you're offering, but you know the Bible never sanctions that. God never said this is what he wants. People get mad. <laughs> I had a guy stand up one time and throw his keys out on the table and say, oh, you, you can't tell me that. I said, you read it. I, you just read the Bible in front of me, and it's telling you that your marriage is not licit before the Lord. It's not me who told you that. You read it. Well, it was one of the Church of Christ ministers that, that married us. I said, I don't know who it was that married you, but if you had asked me before you got married, I would have said you have no right to marry. You don't have a right. And he knew he didn't. He was mad at me. I thought he was going to hit me. We ended up leaving the house. Uh, because he was getting very belligerent. He was in his late 70s, but he was very large and strong, and he was, he was upset. And so people get mad at the messenger. People get upset when God doesn't accept what they think they're offering God, but they're not really even offering it to God in the end. They're offering, as the Pharisee did, they're praying from himself to himself while the, the uh, tax man, the tax collector, is down there beating his chest and saying, be merciful to me. There's a huge difference. Yeah, I think that can sometimes Sorry. be viewed. <laughs> Called you Zach. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. So I think that can be viewed though as like 
having that passion, like, well, he obviously really cares about having that relationship. Sure. But, like, I mean, I guess I've seen it myself, and I, I definitely, I, I know I've just seen it, period, in people that that's not necessarily the case. It, there is some sort of desire to have that relationship with God. But when you basically say, I understand that, I appreciate that, but that's wrong, and then they respond that way, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about this, like, pride issue yes. that's coming up. I mean, that, that's one of the things that uh, we see Eve was kind of seeking after mm-hmm. um, in the, you know, pride of life would be in the wisdom that she was wanting from the fruit. I think that's kind of the similar thing. You're absolutely right. In fact, we see that because of the question that God asks. And it's the question I asked this man. <laughs> Why are you angry? <laughs> well, that's, that's a legitimate question. You want God's presence. You want him to accept you. He didn't. So why are you angry about that? It just means you need to do something differently. It doesn't mean that you can never be accepted, but obviously what you're doing is not correct. God's not going to accept that. So being angry with God's not going to draw you closer to him. You need to humble yourself, repent, and then offer what God accepts. So it's exactly that. It's a pride thing. And that's where you know people will defend tooth and nail their religion. We tend to do that sometimes. We'll defend religion before we'll defend the Lord. <laughs> no, well, of course we're not going to use instruments of music. You know, the Bible says in two places, sing. <laughs> and so we'll defend that tooth and nail while we lose someone to the Lord because we're not really arguing based on the Lord. We're arguing on, we want to make sure that we're right. <laughs> We've got to be careful with that. I mean, we want to be right, certainly. But we want the Lord to be right. <laughs> and so we want to make sure we present that to people. Some of these arguments that have come up, it's better just to wait for later. And so someone understands the Lord's authority, those arguments are just going to be religious arguments. It's not really going to help. So I want to argue about that stuff. I'll say, we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about the Lord first and see what you think about that. And I actually had a discussion with a lady on a college campus one time. She was talking about how uh, in their group they used the, the guitar. They were from a United Church of Christ. And so they, they used the guitar. And I asked her why. She said, well, it just sounds better when we sing with the guitar. And I said, it sounds better to who? And she stopped for a second. She said, to us. And I said, what sounds better to God, obedience or hearing the guitar? And she remembered 1 Samuel 15 when the, the uh, disobedience is like the sin of, of witchcraft and the rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And she, she thought about that for a second. She said, you know, I never thought about that. You know, we like the way it sounds. And so we presume God does. It's like God loves obedience. And so if we're not obedient, it, you know, in Amos, he says, well, I'm sick of all your musical instruments that you make for yourselves. I'm sick of all these songs that you're coming up with. You're not worshiping me. So that's exactly what people do. But until they realize that that's, it's an authority issue, they'll think if it feels good to me, God's going to enjoy it because we're looking at God like a man. I, I think that's a big issue, going back to one, two. I didn't bring that up until maybe enough. But right now, God comes down with the right question. Why are you angry? And I think that's an excellent question. If we realize that we're not doing what the Bible says and then we get angry about it, we might be angry for one reason. I should have known better. I can't believe I would be that silly again. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to repent, and I will. That anger may drive me to do what's right. If it's a if it's a righteous anger, you know, the Lord does that. Jesus did that. We might get angry because who are you to tell me that I can't worship this way? You're just another guy trying to do what God said, and I am too. And who are you to tell me I can't? Well, I didn't tell you. Like I told the message, you read it. You read the text, and you made that conclusion. I didn't make it. But now you're mad at me. Why are you angry? God said it. You need to change what your life's doing. You can change where you are in your life. So God asks him that simple question, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? And I love what God does here in verse 7. He doesn't give him a chance to respond yet. He responds for him. He says, let me help you. <laughs> if you do well, will I, not, will I not accept your offer? 
but that's not what he said. <laughs> Will you not be accepted? He didn't even talk about the offering anymore. He's talking about, Cain, I want to accept you. But how does that happen? If you do well. What does that imply to us? If he says that if you do well, will you not be accepted? What does that imply? For one, it's, it's in Cain's control. He's, he's the one who makes the choice. But it also shows that up to this point, he hadn't done well. It also, by implication, since Abel's not mentioned here, and since we have in Hebrews 11, 4, Abel by faith offered a more excellent sacrifice, we understand that Abel had done well in this question, at least, in this issue. So he says, if you do well, I'll accept you, and thus, anything you bring me, the offerings that you bring, because you'll be doing them. And here's, here's the, the catch. As we pray, if it's your will, Lord. <laughs> if we're really praying, I want to do what's your will, we'll be like Jesus and go to the cross. <laughs> you know, He didn't want to go to the cross, but he said, nevertheless, what you will, Father, not what I will. And he went to the cross. <laughs> when we're praying, please, Lord, let it be your will that I get a new Corvette. Well, if that's not his will. <laughs> then it changes the way we pray. I think it helps as we, if we pray out loud. Sometimes we hear ourselves saying some of these things. If it's your will, Father, uh, yeah, uh, help me to understand what my real need is in terms of transportation. <laughs> help me to be humble enough to accept if I have to walk. And then maybe you know, you'll get a horse, and then maybe you'll get a bus, and then maybe you'll actually get a car because you're willing to humbly use whatever means God gives you in his service. You're not just looking for the Corvette, so you have the Corvette. Yeah, some people will get a Corvette. Maybe they need to get there quickly. I don't know. But... Uh, the idea is, as you're molded to do God's ones, you're praying according to God's will, then he's able to accept your offering and, and to bless you accordingly so that you can, you can offer that to him even more. It's amazing how that works. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 15 more. Let's talk about that. God, God gives the seed to the sower. As the guy plants and then gives back more to God, God gives him more seed on top of it. Excuse me. You think about an ear of corn. You, know, you plant one grain of corn, you get an ear of corn. Look at all the seeds on that. You plant all that. You can give more away and still have enough and give more away the next time and still have more. God just keeps blessing you if you're doing things according to his will. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to, to say that like the way some, uh, some of these health and wealth gospel people do. It's not that idea that we just want to keep gaining and gaining and gaining. God gives, and he says it very specifically in the text, so you can give more away. <laughs> it's more and more grace abounds. And that's the grace of being able to give it away. So, if you do well, will you not be accepted? There's another side, though. If you do not do well, sin is up on I-85. <laughs> no, it's right at the door. We might say it's under the bed. <laughs> sin is waiting for you. It is ready to attack. And this last phrase in verse 7, I, I alluded to this earlier. We are talking about when God was laying down the, the, uh, the punishment for the woman. And he said, your desire shall be for your husband, but he will rule over you. It's the same construction here in verse 7 when he talks to Cain. Sin's desire is for you, but you'll rule over it. He changed it just a little bit. This is the idea, though. It's a question of who should be in authority. Sin wants the authority over you. Isn't that amazing? Romans talks about sin being the slave driver and we become the slave. Sin wants us that way. We need to rule over it. We need to control our passions and discipline ourselves so that sin is not our master, that we're a master over sin. And that's what God's saying for, uh, for Cain to do here. How do you do that? You do well. You do what God tells you. Hebrews 11:4 very clearly, Abel by faith offered a more excellent sacrifice. He knew what to offer, and that's what he offered. Such so that even after his death, he still spoke better things than Cain spoke alive. His blood and his soul, his life, continued in the presence of God. This is really the first hint at resurrection. 
which we'll see in the next text here in, in, in Genesis chapter 4. It's amazing. God still has contact with Abel even though he's dead. <laughs> you probably would never notice that. We'd never think about that. Certainly, I don't think most Jewish scholars really thought about that. But that's exactly what's happening. And Hebrews 11, I think, makes that really clear. There's still a connection for God and Abel. Up through verse 7, any comments or questions about this? Uh, you know, the Lord was right there. You see the Lord's grace. Uh, he's right there when Cain uh, makes his mistake, and he says, you know, why are you doing this? Very uh, pointed question. Not, not condemning yet, just asking why. Well, he's right here in this room at any time or in front of anybody else in the world saying, why are you doing this? That's a great question to do, ask. Do we persecute each other? Do we persecute ourselves? Not even thinking about what we're saying? Sometimes we do, yeah. yeah. And certainly when we act contrary to God's will, we're delivering ourselves up to persecution. Um, but, you know, the question he asks here, I think is a legitimate question. People get offended by that question. Like, why are you angry? Or if you just ask him, why are you a Baptist? Why are you Catholic? Like, what do you mean? What? Have you ever thought about it? <laughs> Most haven't. Some have, and they'll defend it, and you'll say, well, can you defend that biblically, though? And Well, that's a different question. And they, they may try. That's a great question to ask. It's not a hard question to ask, but sometimes it's a difficult question to ask in the sense that it's, it's challenging to ask that. Carl, off the shelf from what we're talking about, <clears throat> you mentioned Catholic. Can you give me one or maybe two things that could be wrong with that, with that church? I can give you several. <laughs> two that come right off the top of my head would be the fact that they believe there's still an apostle walking around that, that has a direct link to God and the Pope. Uh, there's several other things, the whole transubstantiation issue and many, many others. I don't know how many you want me to go into, but yeah, yeah there's no, they're not following the Lord's will. That's what's wrong. <laughs> yeah, no. <clears throat> the two things that I can stick out in my mind, and that's graven images, where it says, yeah. thou shalt not have graven images before me. You look in the church, what do you find? No, they do a, wor a workaround around that, saying they're not really worshiping those things, but yeah. in the end it becomes that. They've made doctrines about how Mary is holy and you know equal to God actually she's higher than Christ now the last doctrine that came out you can only get to Christ through her uh, so yeah I never heard that yeah that's that's a new doctrine uh, it's, you know, Brazil's a Catholic country so we got a lot of that you cannot get to Christ unless you go through Mary well, so whole she's basically Catholic almost well the, the majority but we're getting we're getting off off subject here yes. the, the point though the Lord not only says you must do well but he tells you how and that's what he's doing with Cain here. And what we'll see in these next verses, he's guiding Cain. Cain doesn't want, to, doesn't want it. And we'll talk about why in just a moment. It all begins in his heart. But it's amazing that the Lord is trying. He's trying to keep Cain. But Cain is bent on doing evil. So let's read uh, verses 8 through, uh, 8 through 13 uh, right now. Wait a second. 8 through 12. He'll read that for us. Kelly, yeah, thank you. Cain told Abel his brother... And it came about when the, they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, you will no longer... It will no longer yield its strength in you. It, you will be a vagrant and a wanderer upon the earth. If you had to point out one word that was repeated through that text, what would it be? Did you hear the same word repeated over and over again? 
There's some emphasis here. It's a word that's actually repeated seven times from verse 2 up through this verse 12. Seven's a kind of magic number in the book of Genesis, as it is in other places. It's all over Genesis. The word brother. That's it. Seven times the word brother. Sin is so horrid that it affected one of the most intimate relationships there should have been. The first four people on earth, two of them being brothers, one killed the other. That word brother is there on purpose. And you'll see that reflect, uh, uh, referenced later on, you know, this one who was jealous and killed his brother. <laughs> one who doesn't love his, his brother who he can see. How can he love God who he can't see? You see this, these references later on. This is what sin does. It destroys families from, from right within. It already had Adam and Eve blaming God and blaming each other. Now it's got Cain angry and going out and killing his brother because his brother was doing what was right. It's much easier to kill the one who's doing right, then you don't have to worry about it because you're the only one left, so God has to accept you. Obviously, no. But, you know, the carnal mentality sometimes thinks that way. That's what our, our earthly worldview will, will bring us to. That's what sin will lead us to. So Cain talks with Abel, his brother. They're both out in the field. One's tilling the field to bring plants up. The other's got his sheep out there. So there's nothing strange about that. There's no, uh, no way that Abel's really uh, uh, feeling like Cain's going to do something. He's got nothing to, to fear. He takes him out, and Cain raises up, uh, rise up against him and kills him. And then the Lord said, verse 9, there's like there's no gap in time. <laughs> this happens. He kills his brother, and the Lord says, where is Abel, your brother? What's the response that Cain gives? A twofold response, really. First he says, I don't know. Is that true? He lies to God. You know, we all do that when we sin. We really do. We end up lying to God. We try to hide it. We try to act like, you know, that wasn't me, or I didn't know better, or whatever. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I want you to notice something real subtle here. Cain has learned very well from his parents what he's doing. Who is he blaming for Cain, for Abel's death? Aren't you the one who's supposed to be keeping this one that pleases you? <laughs> That's what he's saying, not... But is it up to me? It's, isn't it up to you to be taken care of? Don't you know where he is, almighty God? Whew. You see the arrogance in Cain's response here? Not only just lying straight to God's face, but then saying, couldn't you keep up with him? Am I the one that's supposed to do that? I'm out here working the ground like you cursed me to do. You can see the dialogue getting really, <laughs> really haughty here. It's almost like, you know, uh, uh, a spouse walking on an infidelity, and she's like, you know, what are you doing? Oh, what are you doing? Well, yeah. Why are you here? You know, this, it reminds exactly. me of that. It reminds me of the whole the self. But a lot of times we do this as people. Whenever we're caught in something wrong, we'll flip the script on the person that is confronting us about the wrong instead of admitting the wrong. Just because that's the first thing we can do. What usually happens, Josh, in, in a case of infidelity, someone else found out about it, and they'll go and they'll confront them and they'll say, "Who told you that? Where'd you hear that?" But you can't trust that person, and they're guilty as can be. And they start trying to reflect it back on the person that has found out their sin and trying to help them out of it. And, yeah, we do that. <laughs> but here, I mean, it is directly against God that Cain's doing. This is arrogance. And here's God with such grace. And we're going to see grace and mercy together in the next few verses of this text. It's beautiful to watch how God does this with Cain. Because me, <laughs> and again, my wife said, good thing you're not God. What are you going to do with this guy? <laughs> All right, <laughs> we'll just make another one. <laughs> you know, God can do that. God doesn't act that way. And he's, I mean, it's just amazing what he does here. 
So am I my brother's keeper? Isn't it you that's supposed to take care of him? So God then answers, what have you done? He knew where he was because Abel's already been talking to him. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The first hint of a resurrection, of, of a life beyond death. It's Abel's blood speaking better things than, than Cain in life, Abel in death. He continues in this relationship because of his faith. I know what you've done, really. Your brother told me. His voice through his blood is crying out to me. So then verse 11. Notice this. When Adam sinned, what was cursed? The ground. Well, the ground's already cursed. He can't curse the ground again, so who does he curse? He curses Cain. Who is the other person, if you will, that was cursed because of sin? The serpent. Now one of the serpent's descendants has been cursed, just like the serpent was. Isn't that interesting? There's a parallel here. This is a descendant of the serpent. This is not a descendant of of God. He's not doing God's will. He's doing his father, the serpent's will, or the devil's will, as Jesus will point out in John chapter 8 to the Pharisees. You're not sons of Abraham. <laughs> Abraham wouldn't try to kill me. So there's this interesting, I'm not saying literally he's the son of the serpent, but he's following the serpent. He's become a descendant of the serpent's deception. And so he gets cursed. Now think about that. A cursed ground and a cursed person working the ground, what's going to be the result? <laughs> It's already hard to produce food. Now he says, the ground will not produce for you. So that's an issue. Um, you've put blood on the ground, so the ground's not going to produce, produce when, you, uh, when you till it. So what does God say will be the end result in the case of Cain? Now, I'm not saying God is, God is not, um, he's not punishing Cain with this. He's not saying, I want you to run and be a vagabond. saying, this is what's going to happen. God's prophesying here. We'll see that in a minute that this is really Cain's decision. It's not God's. So what does God say is going to happen, though? When he can't find, when he can't get the, the ground to produce for him, he's going to become a vagrant and a fugitive on the face of the earth. Think about that for a minute. Why would God make it impossible for him to find food? Or think about it another way. It's not impossible. How would Cain find food? How would he get food in the situation he's in now if he can't produce it for himself. I can think of three ways. He can steal from somebody. Absolutely. That's one of the ways. And we'll find out that's closer to what he's going to end up doing. Or he can ask. He can ask who? God or maybe one of his brothers. Okay, he could ask God. The snake, the serpent still was able to find food. He was eating dust. But you know, God provides berries and whatever out in the field. He can go through and like the snake, crawl on his belly and go through the fields looking for food. That's very humiliating. Yeah. But who could he ask? What would he have to do to ask Adam for food? Think about this. I think this is what God's plan was. He'd have to turn around and apologize and ask for food. He'd have to admit, confess his sin, humiliate himself, humble himself is a better word in English, humble himself and ask forgiveness and then ask to be fed. I would beg to differ. Humiliate yeah. oneself is a stronger word in English. Perhaps, yes. I'm thinking in Portuguese, but I, I, we usually say humble. But humiliate is really what, that's what God aims. He wants to humble us. And if we humiliate ourselves, like Cain would have to do, that would keep him in with God's family. That would bring him on the path back to fellowship with God. Cain's not going to do that. <laughs> but that's what God's offering him. You know, as God made it harder and harder for Cain to get food, there's a food source right beside him. Adam's going to live on all the way up until almost Noah's born. 
This is not that Adam's dead and Cain doesn't have anywhere to go. He can ask his parents, but he's going to have to repent of his sin, beg their forgiveness, and ask forgiveness from God, and then he's going to have to work with his father, and, and maybe he's going to have to tend the sheep now, but he's going to get food if he does that. This is what God is aiming at, the restoration of the family. This is not what Cain's going to do. Another option would be just to go through the brambles and find stuff. That would be humiliating as well. Or he could run off and start a new city and have other people work for him, which is what we see ends up happening in this whole lineage of Cain in Genesis chapter 5, these descendants uh, that are of the cursed lineage. Uh, so we have this mixture later of the, the sons of God and the sons of, or the daughters of men. Um, not really going to get too much into that detail now. But up to this point, we can see that God is still being gracious toward him, being generous toward him, and giving him opportunity to continue alive when, like I said, I'd have squashed the guy. I'd have started over. But I'm not God. And I'm grateful because I would have squashed me too by now. <laughs> I would have started over with me by now. <laughs> Gratefully, the Lord is not like us. So he tells him what the punishment's going to be. Okay, let's watch Cain's response now. This is an opportunity still. Cain can say, thank you for not killing me like I killed Abel. Let's see what we can do with this. Verses 13 now through 16. I'm going to read those for us. Thank you, Josh. Uh, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me away today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Well, then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord will put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay, so, <laughs> look at Cain's response. God tells him how it's going to be. You're cursed. You will not be able to produce food. And Cain says, not fair! <laughs> it's not just! <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> Justice demands your death. You're not going to die. Is put away your sin, as, as Nathan told David. But you are going to have to suffer this punishment. He says, no, it's more than I can bear. Isn't this too much? Are you being unfair? Some, of these ha some versions have this as a question. Isn't my punishment way too harsh? Is what Cain's asking. That's not fair. And he says, you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I'm going to be hidden from your face. Did God say any of that? He's saying that. I'm going to hide myself from you because of this. Looks just like what Adam and Eve did with their sin. Instead of repenting, he's saying, this is where I'm going. And then he says, I'll be a fugitive and a vagabond earth, on the earth. The Lord was prophesying that. He's saying, I'm choosing this. I will do this. And the Lord knew he would. And he says, and it'll happen that anybody who finds me will kill me. Isn't that amazing? Um, who is it that thinks about killing people, at least up to this point? <laughs> it's Cain. <laughs> but... Uh, there's a proverb, I think it's 28.1. Uh, the, the righteous are bold as a lion, but the, uh, the, the wicked man flees when no one pursues. <laughs> That's what's going on here. Wicked people tend to think other people are going to be wicked too. Righteous people typically think the best of others. A lot of times they're taken for granted or taken advantage of because of that. But we tend to presume that other people are going to be good because we want to be good. But people that are evil tend to think, well, people are going to do bad to me because I'll do bad to them if I've got a chance. That's what Cain's thinking about. And so he says, you know, if I come across anybody, they're going to kill me. And God says, don't worry about that. <laughs> if you come across anybody, I'm not going to let them kill you. Because I'll take vengeance on them seven times if they kill you. I can't imagine what would be seven times worse than death. 
But God made it very clear to whoever saw Cain, don't touch this guy. Why on earth would God do that? What's the purpose of that? Why be nice to him in his fear that he's going to be killed? God puts this mark on him. You think about that. Why would he do that? Show his long suffering. Absolutely. Second Peter 3, 9. <laughs> he's not willing that he should perish. Cain's going to live a long life. He's not going to die by anyone else's hand. He's just going to die of old age. And all that time, he's going to have to be able to repent and come back. Look at God's long suffering. What grace and what mercy. He doesn't deserve that. What need to do we? <laughs> and God sent his son to make it so that we could have an opportunity for salvation. Consider the long suffering of God is his life, his grace, and it's our salvation. So he's allowing Cain to stay alive even in all of this evil that he's in every step rebelling against what God has said. And I told you we would take a look at uh, this issue of how he got to where he is. Verse 16, it says, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. That word means wanderer, the land of wandering, on the east of Eden. So Cain took himself away from the face of the Lord. The Lord did not send him out. Uh, a lot of times we'll, we'll look at this or we'll think God had cast Cain out of, out of the region there where Adam and Eve were. No, he wanted him to stay. He wanted to humble himself instead. Cain said, I'm leaving. I can't handle this. This is too much. Now, Cain left. Well, let's go back and look at Cain's story and see if we can figure out why it got to this point. And it's exactly what we see happening so often in our own lives and in the lives of people we know that we, that we care about, that we want to serve the Lord. Way back at the beginning, when they brought their offerings, God already knew that Cain's heart was not right. He didn't respect Cain and his offering. <laughs> he respected Abel and his offering. And he came to Cain and said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, Abel knew what to do and did it. Cain knew what to do, but didn't. He had already refused to listen to God's word at the outset, when it was laid out before him. He chose to do something different. So then when God came along and said, why are you angry? Didn't you already have the plans? Don't you already know what to do? He wouldn't listen to rebuke. He didn't want to hear the correction that came from the Lord because he already didn't have his mindset on doing what the Lord had said anyway. And so he rejected the correction that came from the Lord. And then once he had acted evilly, you know, at first he was making mistakes. They were sinful, but they were mistakes. Then he acted deliberately and killed his brother when the Lord came with a gracious rebuke and an offering of punishment to correct him, he rejected the correction. And he ended up taking himself so far from the Lord that even with an entire lifetime he didn't repent. <laughs> if we're not willing to listen initially to what God has said, what's going to make us willing to listen when he rebukes? What's going to make us willing to seek him out when the punishment becomes so much we can't bear it we know we only have one recourse? <laughs> yes, Jeff. Yeah, you, you keep on saying that you as an atheist through your life that would be a reflection right there before you even got to the point where you are now. And how many of us maybe, I don't know, I'm not going to say anybody in this room has ever looked at maybe something that's not right and not wanting to correct it. I didn't know the truth, or at least I had suppressed it long enough. I wasn't necessarily rejecting it. Once I discovered what the truth was, kind of like the Apostle Paul, I accepted that and thought, you know, I was wrong. I can't believe I was wrong. I was saying, thank you, God, for being gracious. There are a lot of people in that boat. What I'm really speaking about when I talk about the way this went, here's Cain who was already in the family of God, the only one that existed at the time. 
But he began to not pay attention anymore to what God said. He didn't want to listen. And so he began to fade. And then he didn't want to hear the correction when it came because it was God who was saying it. Then he didn't want to think about the fact that God was trying to correct him punitively. And so then he, he was lost. Don't let that happen to us. And certainly we want to want to encourage people that we're studying with that think at least that they're seeking after God. They may be way off. We want to encourage them to be thinking about what God is saying first and then allow him to correct them as he says it and then accept whatever consequences may come. It may be they're going to have to, to tell their whole family, I can't be a part of this church anymore. I need to serve the Lord properly. It's going to be hard to do that. They may lose their job. They may lose a spouse. I've seen it happen because they want to serve the Lord faithfully. Those are consequences. They may be even punitive because of the life of error that the person led before, but God is purifying and correcting through those things. We see that certainly with Cain, God's desire here. But a person like in Cain's shoes, because he wouldn't listen from the outset, by the time it got to the end of his life, there was no more hope. He didn't have anywhere else to turn. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible to bring someone back. Hebrews basically says that, Hebrews 6. <laughs> if we're not willing to be converted by the cross... There's nothing else that's going to bring us back. It would be impossible to bring someone back who has completely rejected that. And we would be grateful that, you know, even as Christians, as we stumble, our conscience hurts us. We have brethren to come and try to pick us back up, can bring us back from sin. I, I don't know how this translates to us as Christians necessarily mm -hmm. today, but one of the things I, I hadn't really noticed before, but when we were going over it, it, it kind of stuck out to me, is that part of Cain, I mean, part of the curse uh, like you said, it was for the ground and for Cain. He's going to keep working it, but it's just not going to produce anything. But, like, there's no, you can't undo that curse. It's like mm -hmm. you couldn't undo the curse in Genesis 3, right? Right. But it was also part of the command that, like, Cain, or just for man in general, like, this is what you ought to do. This is what you must do and you're supposed to do. So, like, he's, he's going to keep on working the ground, but he's not going to, there's not going to be anything that comes from it. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there's no amount of repentance or anything that's going to be able to take that away or, or resolve that. Um, I don't really know how that applies to us today, mm -hmm. but I think one of the interesting things is that like we might be faced with something that is just very real and true. That like, okay, I still had this obligation, but because of my decision or because of what I've done, like there might not be hardly anything, if anything at all, that comes right. from this. But I can re reject that and run away from it or fear, or anger, or whatever, where I can just try to find the appropriate way to continue like pursuing God, I guess. I, I don't know the specifics of how well, that might... I can think of a couple applications of that. I mean, we were talking today about a couple of men we know whose wives left them. They understand they have no right to remarry. They understand biblically that things could have gone differently if they had acted differently at the time. They may have even been able to protect their own right to remarry, but now they can't. They want to serve the Lord faithfully. They're going to have to be celibate now after not having been and to struggle that they'll have with them the rest of their lives. But it's part of what God has asked them to do. And as they're serve, their service to the Lord, they'll serve that way. That's one thing. Um, what we learn in that, though, and even in the case of Cain, let's suppose he keeps working the ground. He stays where Adam is, but he doesn't ask him for food. I can't do that. It wouldn't be right. I've wronged you. And he goes out and he digs through the forest until he finds his berries and he eats whatever he can find. He's relying on God's grace to keep him even as he's working through the curse. And we do that. You know, it's God's grace that is providing for us. It's not our goodness and how much better we're obeying the commands. It's God's grace. No matter how faithful we become, it's God's grace in the end that is what is, is offering us what we need to be steadfast for salvation. So I mean, that does apply to us very, very uh, purposely.
I have a question. Uh-huh. I don't want to spend too much time on this because ah. I don't want to take up your time. So it's an opinion question. Mm-hmm. But who do you suppose that Kane has in mind who's going to come track him down? And him? <laughs> yeah, you're getting into that realm of how did Kane meet a wife. Um, we don't know when this happened. Right. Uh, it, I mean, it he really had other brothers, right? Certainly. I believe by this time he had other brothers, maybe other sisters already too, right. that, are, that are starting to go off. I don't really get into that, certainly with a non-Christian I'll be studying with because they – they always want to ask me where he got his wife, so we stop at verse 16. Usually I avoid that question. I don't mind dealing with it. It's really fascinating to study through. If you've ever done a timeline, some of you may have done that, but if you haven't, I encourage you to do it. Go through Genesis 5 and do a timeline and see when people were born and died, and you'll see all the people that have connections. And it says in Genesis 5 they had other sons and daughters. So, I mean, Cain and Abel were early on in, in Adam's 969-year life, however long, 939 or something year life. So there would have been lots of others, and that was purposeful because you needed a population spurt all of a sudden at the beginning. So obviously in verse 17, he goes off and finds a wife. So there are other sisters of his, maybe even already uh, nieces or somebody else that has come along, or I guess it could be cousins by, by this point, that he would have an opportunity to, to, to marry. That uh, you know, and, and the law about marrying, intermarrying within the family has not been laid down by God yet. Um, there's, the answers in Genesis people have a really cool theory that's kind of fun to think about too. They're still in the perfection from the garden. They're only one generation removed from that or now two generations removed. Here we're thousands or millions of generations removed from the garden. So we've got all these defects that sin has caused. So if we intermarry uh, you know, a brother with his sister, there's going to be all these adverse genetic effects. That wouldn't happen in the garden. They were perfect, both of them. So there was no negative genetics to, to affect them. Uh, all those things are fun to think about. But obviously there were other sisters and brothers that had moved on to other places. Okay. Um, uh, what they're doing, the Bible just doesn't, doesn't get into right. that. I, the reason I was asking was not so much for just the speculation. I was just uh-huh. trying to get in the frame of mind of like what exactly is the concern of Cain in trying to like think ahead. He's like, okay, yeah. I have this sin. And it's obvious in some capacity that someone's going to want something done about this. Well, it could be his father. Right. He may be thinking of Adam. So <laughs> I was just trying to think yeah. logistically, like what is he thinking about? Not... Yeah. Trying yeah. to come up with difficult questions for the sake of difficult questions. No, I mean, it's fun to postulate those things. Right. And, I mean, it, it very possibly could be thinking of Adam. Okay. Uh, you know, Dad might want to kill you if you kill your brother. Uh, but uh, certainly we do find in the very next verse that there are other people out there. And he, he knows about that, obviously, because he went off and found a wife. Uh, so what the time frame is exactly on that, it's hard to know. I, I was just thinking, too, they might already know the blood of blood. I mean, P- possibly, you know, yeah. I, I, will requi- I mean, God says this later, right? I will require... Mm-hmm it's possible that he just knows he shouldn't be dying. He mm-hmm. should die. And, you know, someone's going to kill me when they find me. Um, whether he's thinking about that righteously or like you were saying, he's just thinking about that. He's, yeah. he's a killer. And he's like, hey, people are going to kill me because they have a reason to now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it may not be a specific person he's thinking of. He just may be thinking, I'm guilty and I should die. Possibly not. Yeah, you, you, you see later in, in verse 23, that's other Lamech, that's not the Noah's father. He's talking about, you know, I've killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain's avenged sevenfold, then Lamech will be avenged seventy-sevenfold. You know, I, I'm even stronger than God. My, my vengeance is, is harder than his. So, I mean, this, this generation that comes out of Cain and all his descent is a mess. It's a, it's a royal mess. And then you get this beautiful picture of Seth and his descendants in the next genealogy. And it's just complete contrast uh, so uh, that's what I've got up through verse 16 any other comments or questions uh, we've got about well whatever we don't really have time <laughs> I got a question 
Verse 16, what do you think went out from the presence of the Lord? Do you think that's a physical location or is that a spiritual state? Uh, I think it's both, actually. It really does say he went off out the east, which is, as they go toward the east, toward the orient, always in Genesis, that's bad news. You're heading off toward what later will be Babylon and Nineveh and all that stuff. So it's both, really. It's a, it's a directional and, and spiritual. He's, he's left the Lord. Uh, yeah, David. Yeah, I was going to say, God didn't say that he couldn't have a relationship with him anymore. Absolutely. He said, um, it's not going to yield its fruit for you, and you'll be a fugitive and vagabond. And then when he repeats in verse 14, he says, I shall be hidden from your face. And then verse 16, he went out from the presence of the Lord. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it could be spiritual or physical. What I was thinking just on a practical level was just us beating ourselves up too much for our sin. I don't know what Cain's heart was here entirely, but I do know that that can happen to us mm-hmm. when we feel like we know the consequences of our sin and we think there's no way I can return from this. There's no way mm-hmm. that God's going to take me back and just give up, you know, and, and that could be what Cain was maybe doing here. And, and I do know for certain that we can do that. Um, to and, and just not inflicting on ourselves eternal damnation or eternal judgment because we've made a, a big mistake even. Uh, and what you see in that, both in, in the case that we do and what Cain's doing here, whether it's out of evil or out of just despair, the focus is on us. I can't forgive myself for this. I could never undo this. You know, It's impossible then that God could do this because I can't. We were just talking about that. So the guy, well, I can't forgive myself for this, so how can I ever be forgiven? Um, you know, the God, God is going to forgive us. It's not us who are going to forgive us. You know, uh, we have to seek him. That's part of the, the humiliation process. We seek the one who is greater than us to, to forgive us for what we've done. Uh, so either way, it ends up in the same situation. We've got to turn the focus on to God. And God is working everything he can to bring the focus back on him because that's the best thing for Cain. It's the best thing for us if we can focus on God. God knows that. And so he set himself up where he can be the focus and we just blind ourselves to him and turn away hide our faces or hide ourselves. And so in the end, the, the onus is on Cain, who did the leaving, who did the hiding. He blamed God for it, but he's the one who did it. And so, I mean, we'll do that too. We'll, we'll try, you know, I can't worship anymore there. God, God just, you know, he doesn't want me there, obviously, or whatever. And we blame God, but it's, it's me. <laughs> Does he have another hand over here? Another? Just the, the, the comments that these guys were making about the consequences of sin and the, the forgiveness are things that, like you said, God does. We don't do those. Mm-hmm. We still will suffer the consequences of our previous actions, as you gave a great example of. And that is that is part of the difficulty of having been sinful and having been a wayward Christian that came back. I do realize in a horrible sort of way what the consequences are, and there's nothing we can do about those except for persevere. Yeah. You know, think about the guy on death row. We may repent, and he may be accepted by God, doesn't mean the consequence of his sin is not going to catch up with him. It will be put to death. It won't be eternal death if he's repented, really. So we, we so often confuse guilt and consequence. We can't do that. And God can remove the guilt, the consequence, even Jesus suffered. <laughs> Josh? Just, um, more or less what I was about to say. Just, uh, <laughs> just be, the presence of consequences doesn't negate forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, guys, this has been really fun for me. I hope it's been encouraging to you. I hope you'll think about using this in your evangelism. I mean, it's so simple. It's all right there. The text is right there. I'll send the PowerPoints along. I know I'm going to send them to Richard on Facebook, and a couple others have asked for them. If you want them, the cards are back there. 
if you don't get it directly from me and you want it from him, there's a lot more, there's a lot more of, the, of the basis for these thoughts, the, the actual Bible verses in the New Testament that back up a lot of things we just kind of said in passing. Um, I try not to throw too much other Bible at the people we're studying with. I just wanted, I wanted to just kind of have a conversation with them, so I'll ask a lot of more questions even than I did here. But I wanted to present you guys with the order of the material at least so you can think through it the way I thought through it, the way I think it's been helpful and useful in my evangelism with these books. And really, I mean, it's, it's just fun to go through. The more you go through it, the more you see. Every single time I do it, I learn something. And, and it's funny when I tell people that, I'll tell them when I'm studying with them, oh, thank you, that's a great point. I never thought about that before. A lot of people that are studying with me will say, did you ever notice that? And I'll tell them, well, that's, that's something new. I can, I can add next time I do this. So, I mean, this study could you know, be an infinite. The Bible's a living document. Uh, but it's just been a lot of fun. I appreciate the, the invite to come. I look forward to the next time we get a chance to be with you guys. If you're ever in Charleston, North Charleston specifically, please look us up. We need a place to stay. Our doors are wide open. We'd love to have you. But certainly it would be encouraging to, to receive you uh, in fellowship there in worship or anything else. And if I can be of service in any other way uh, to you guys during the time we're here or even in the future, please let us know. We'd be glad to come back by and give you a shot in the arm or get one from you guys. Uh, it's just it's just fun to do this together. I just I love going through these kind of studies again. So I really really appreciate you guys. Why don't we finish with a word of prayer, and then I don't know if you guys got anything else to say after that. But let's finish with a word of prayer together. Gracious Lord, our Father, what a blessing to have spent these past couple of days with Your Word open before us, learning about Your nature and our nature, and learning about the problem that vexes us all, Father, as sin has come into the world from our own disobedience and we know the consequences that we've already suffered because of it and we know that we'll continue to suffer consequences as we go through this world but we trust that you're a good God and you're a perfect God and a loving God we know that even the consequences of sin are meant to bring about our repentance we understand father that we also were guilty before you but you've paid the blood price with the offering of your own son we can't begin to express our gratefulness for that we just beg you to uh, help us to be faithful, to seek you as Cain did not. Whenever we are in error, help us to humble ourselves, to confess our sin to you, to seek out people who will help us walk with you. Thank you so much for the encouragement of the fellowship we've had over these past few days, for the hospitality of the brethren here, and for the opportunity for us to have your word, Father, that you've preserved over millennia so that we could just read it together this morning and these last couple of days. We're grateful for your love for us and for your revelation that is so perfect. We're just amazed as we look through uh, the simplicity and the complexity at the same time that this word has brought to us. We pray that you'd help us as we contemplate it further and as we use it in our own studies that we can help other people to tune their hearts to you, Father, and to seek for your response to sin, to learn what the nature of this world really is and who their creator is and who they are and how they can escape from the ravages that sin has brought. We love you, Father, and we want to help other people to learn to love you as well. We just pray you'd bless us as we study with them and help us to be fervent in prayer that we can reach hearts that are seeking for you. We're thankful for everyone who's here today, especially those who may have come from elsewhere to visit with us. Pray you'd bless them on their return. Should be with my family as we're returning and help us to make it back safely as well. Continue with the congregation here that they may find open hearts and souls that are seeking, Father, and they may grow to glorify you. We beg and pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks again. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. That was excellent.